The Guardians of Time, Part 2. I'll be right back. Where do I go for all my website and IT needs? I trust Maxwell White. Max takes care of all of my IT needs for all of my companies, whether it is website work such as markbowser.com or strategy and implementation of an internet ad campaign. Max has the answers. No project is too small or too large for his personal attention. That I really like. Even if I just need a little IT advice, Max always has time to listen to my needs and provide solutions to solve them. So I trust Max, and I know you can too. Contact him today at maxslink.com. That's M-A-X-S-L-I-N-K dot com. Last time, our two heroes had just begun to realize that they were actually back in history in 1770 on the exact day of the Boston Massacre. They had just ran across Private Hugh Montgomery, who had fired the first shot on that tragic day. So let's catch up with them to find out what they're going to do next. What do you mean if we don't do something, asked Griffin. Well, we can't just let him shoot people. I read in the trial that he was the one accused of shooting Crispus addicts. Maybe we can stop this whole thing. Maybe even the war. First of all, how do you suppose we do that, asked Griffin. We're just kids. Besides, you can't go around messing with history. That might change the future. And I like the future. I hadn't thought of that, I said. But we can't just stand around and allow people to die if we can stop it. Maybe, maybe we can warn somebody. Oh yeah, that, that will work. Excuse me, sir. We are from the future and this thing called the Boston Massacre is about to happen, mocked Griffin. They will put us in the crazy house or jail. But we got to do something. I mean, this may be our future now. We don't know if we will ever get back home. Well, I plan on going home, one way or another, said Griffin. Well, I plan on going home, too. I am just saying we may be stuck here. Come on. At that point, we started walking quickly down the street in the direction the soldiers went. We walked for what must have been three-quarters of a mile, and the soldiers were nowhere in sight. How could we lose them? Now I understand these many years later. Have you ever driven in Boston? We went there for a family vacation a few years ago, and let me tell you, the roads are a mess. They make no sense. Anyway, back to my story. We looked and looked for the better part of an hour, and the soldiers were nowhere. We saw other soldiers, just not the ones we had seen earlier, particularly Private Hugh Montgomery. We walked up and down road after road. At that time, Griffin was complaining about his, about this, that this was stupid, and, and we needed to just find our way back home. He had a point. Could we really change history? Should we, even if we could? We rounded a corner and could hear the mutterings of some sort of a disturbance. At that moment, some boys about our age ran by us. Come on, I said as I grabbed Griffin's arm and began to run after the boys. We caught up with them with about a block up the street. By this time, we could see a large crowd gathering. It is about time those British got their comeuppance said one of the boys. My father says we are eventually going to need to kick them out of Boston. As Griffin and I moved past the boys, we squeezed in amongst the crowd. We could hardly see anything with so many men in front of us. At that moment, a man beside me picked up a snowball. It had about as much rock and dirt in it as it did snow. 
Even though I knew approximately what was going to happen on that day, I was still shocked at seeing it firsthand. The man threw the snowball at something in front of him. I squinted to see what it was. I knew what it was going to be even before I could lay my eyes on it. It was the British soldiers that Griffin and I had been trying to find. There he was, Private Hugh Montgomery. The snowball hit the soldier standing right next to Private Montgomery. It hit him right in the chest, leaving a wet stain on his bright red uniform. At that moment, another man pushed by on the other side of me, almost knocking Griffin over. The man had something in his hand. When he raised his arm in the air, I could see what it was. It was a club, actually more of a stick than a club. The clubbed man shoved his way to the front of the crowd and kept going till he was face to face with Private Montgomery. The man paused ever so slightly when he was about a four feet in front of Private Montgomery. He then charged. There was nothing Private Montgomery could do. He tried to get his arm up to block the blow, but the club landed directly on the side of Private Montgomery up around his shoulder. Private Montgomery went sprawling to the ground from the blow. His body went one way and his gun went the other. I rushed forward knowing what was to happen next. As I made it to the front of the crowd and was just about to get between the British soldiers and the crowd, a strong arm pulled me back. I found myself looking into the confident eyes of a strapping, well-dressed gentleman. His strength surprised me. He still had a firm grip on me. He must have thought I was going to try to run back forward. He was right. There was something about him. He wore a reddish-brown suit with a brown vest underneath that buttoned up to his neck. The slightest tip of a white shirt collar sprouted from above the vest. His hair was brown with a touch of gray and was combed straight back. It hung over his ears. His hairstyle would have fit in perfectly back at home in the 1970s. The gentleman opened his mouth and said calmly, You don't want to do that, son. It has to end this way. But I can stop it, I exclaimed desperately to him. I know you can, he said calmly, but you mustn't. He then directed Griffin and me to the edge of the crowd. As he led us to the, led us to the street, across the street, he, we heard what I knew we were going to hear. Bang! A musket shot rang out. I didn't even have to look to know whose gun had discharged. Private Montgomery had sprung back on his feet from being knocked down grabbed his gun, and fired. As I turned around, I saw a fine-looking black man lying on the ground. His hand was on his side, and blood was leaking out. A lot of blood. I knew who it was. It was Crispus Attucks. As other shots began to sound amongst the yelling and screaming, the man directed Griffin and I firmly around a corner. Let me introduce myself, he said. I am Sam Adams. My mouth fell straight open in shock. The Sam Adams, I stammered. Yes and no, said, said Sam. Yes, I am the Sam Adams in your history books, who is the second cousin of John Adams. But there is more. My most important title is that I am a guardian of time. A guardian of time, asked Griffin. Yes, I help keep time in its proper perspective. In particular, I keep history the way it should be, which is the way it was. That is why, Drew, I couldn't let you interfere with your history books call... What's your history books call the Boston Massacre? We who lived 
it knew it was a tragedy, and even more reason why we needed to break away from England. How do you know my name, sir? We know quite a bit about you, Drew. And you too, Griffin. In particular, we know who you two will become. You two are some of the greatest guardians of all time. We are guardians? stammered Griffin. Oh yes, said Sam. Still isn't safe here. Please, please walk with me. We crossed another street and ducked down an alley. We came up to a brick building with a weather-worn wooden door. Sam opened the door and we all walked inside. The room was dirty and wasn't lit very well. There was a table in the center of the room with six chairs around it. Sam motioned with his arm for Griffin and I to sit down. I think it is time that you hear it all, said Sam. As I said, I am a guardian of time. We are a group primarily of Americans from different time periods whose mission is to protect the timeline as it was originally set in time. Who started the Guardians and who was the first Guardian? I do not know, continued Sam. What I do know is that we are losing and time is getting short. What do you mean we are losing? How does history get messed up, I asked. Well, there is an enemy. We don't know who and we don't know when he comes from. He may come from hundreds of years in the future or maybe in the past. He is a clever enemy. We have attempted to discover him. One time I was on a three-man guardian team and we were able to follow his echo throughout history and came this close to glimpsing the enemy and then he eluded us. An echo through history? asked Griffin. When we travel throughout history, we are accompanied by an echo of ourself. Think of it as a shadow of yourself that is ever present with you. The only time you don't have an echo is when you are in your own time period. For example, I don't have an echo in this time period because this is the time in history where I belong. We have learned to track the echoes. That is how we almost caught the enemy. But as I said, he is clever. He has learned to cover his echo for a period of time, and so far we haven't been able to catch up. Sam took a deep breath and then continued. At this time, it only appears that American history is being changed. Our theory is that it is because America is the linchpin, the place that impacts all history. Throughout my travels as a guardian, I have been able to glimpse what America will become. In my time period, we are just beginning. In your time period, boys, America is the greatest nation of all time. The enemy is determined to destroy the greatness of America and thus shape history in his own evil desires. Mr. Adams, how does, how does the enemy go about changing history? I mean, what would have happened if I had stopped Private Montgomery from firing his musket, I asked. You can call me Sam. Well, your question, Drew, is a hard one to answer. The enemy can change history in many ways. For example, what would happen if the enemy killed your great-grandfather? Drew would never be born, said Griffin. Exactly, said Sam. If the enemy could keep Drew from being born, then it would make his mission easier to accomplish. How could keeping me from being born make the enemy's mission easier, I asked, not quite sure I wanted to hear the answer. Because in the future, you and Griffin will foil many of his plans throughout history. Think of it this way. What if George Washington would be persuaded not to lead the Continental Army against England? What if the Pilgrims chose to stay across the Atlantic? What if President Ronald Reagan didn't stare down the Soviet Union and win the Cold War? Reagan? 
Both Griffin and I said at the same time. You mean the old old movie actor? Griffin asked. He is something like a third cousin to me. Oh, that is right. That is your future. Ronald Reagan will become president of the United States in your near future. But do you boys understand the point I am making? Yeah, yeah, we, we get it, said Griffin. Kind of gruesome. Seems like it is much easier to change history than to keep it the same. Indeed it is, said Sam. Indeed it is. At that moment, a man burst into the room through a back door. He was probably in his mid-thirties. He had light brown hair and his clothes were wrinkled. Sam, we just got word, he said excitedly. The enemy has changed history. The United States won't exist. Do we know when history was changed? asked Sam. Sometime not too long from now. We know it has something to do with George Washington. He dies too soon and is never able to lead us to the victory in the war for independence. In fact, research shows that England wins the war in January 1777. With a sigh, Sam said, Okay, tell them I will be right there. But first, I have to get these two gentlemen home. Oh, Marshall, this is Drew Blake and Griffin Reagan. Marshall's eyes opened large and wide. Seeing his reaction, Sam said, Yes, that Drew Blake and Griffin Reagan. But it is not their time yet. Their time will come, but today they need to be 14-year-old boys. With that, Sam stood up and motioned for us to do the same. Let's get you two home. But Sam, I exclaimed, we, we want to help. Yes, we must help, said Griffin. Not this time, Sam said with grief in his tone. Sam led us to the alley between the two brick buildings where we had entered this time in history. When we reached the bush that hid the opening to the cave that led back to our time, Sam grabbed us both in his big arms and embraced us. We will meet again. It is a matter of historical record, he said with a twinkle in his eye. He then became serious. Now, go quickly. You will find a rock. You will find a rope tucked between two rocks on the left side of the cave directly below the opening. Use it to climb out. Now, go, my friends, and God be with you. Griffin and I hustled through the bush and started up the path. As we moved in about 100 yards, the yellowish fog began to just like when we had entered it the first time. We went another 200 yards or so when the fog began to change into smoke. It got so thick that... that we could, couldn't see and could barely breathe. We tucked our noses into our elbows to filter some of the smoke with our sweatshirts. The more we walked, the worse it got. Finally, we hit a wall of heat within the smoke. It wasn't an actual physical wall, but it may as well have been because we couldn't penetrate it. We have to turn back, I yelled to Griffin. Griffin, where, where was he? I couldn't see anything. I didn't know where he was. I felt around trying to locate him. About five frightful minutes, I tripped over something and fell head first onto the dirt. I had tripped over Griffin. He was lying on the dirt. I shook him, but I couldn't get him awake to wake up. The heat and smoke was now so intense beyond description. I grabbed Griffin by, by both arms and started to drag him up the path towards revolutionary Boston. The heat followed us. I was barely staying ahead of it. Finally, I made it to the bush, covering the entrance into the Boston of 1770. 
As I dragged Griffin through the bush, a bellowing of smoke followed us out. At least the heat had subsided. Griffin was still unconscious. What were we going to do now? We were stuck in 1770, with an enemy blocking our way home to our time in history. That concludes our little preview for you of the Guardians of Time. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you were inspired. And until next time, this is Mark Bowser. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for a speaker for your next organizational event? Look no further than the host of this podcast, Mark Bowser. He's presented seminars to Southwest Airlines, Princeton University, the United States Marine Corps, Dell, and many more. Learn more about Mark speaking and other work on markbowser.com.